This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hi, everybody. Cheryl Kay from Unleashed. Today I have a guest with me, behaviorist Joel Silverman. Hi, Joel. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you today? I'm wonderful. And uh, I thought we would talk about, and I know you wanted to mention, you know, bringing a new pet, a young pet into the home and uh, the best ways to try to train them. Of course, people want them to be housebroken immediately. And, you know, depending on where you bring them from, whether it's a shelter or, God forbid, a breeder, you know, they don't. My grandmother used to train our dogs that we brought home from school, like like I'd go to school and, and I'd come back and the dog was paper trained. <laughs> so, mm, right. Can right. you do that? You know, it's well, well, you were saying it was kind of funny because it was something you had said, which was kind of funny. People want their dogs to be housebroken. People not only want their dogs to be housebroken, but they want everything. You know, there are a lot of people that have never really had a dog before and they think for some reason that a dog, you know, they want this, they want that, they want everything to be perfect. And, you know, we're not perfect and, and neither are dogs, and especially dogs that come from animal shelters or humane societies, you know, we've got baggage and they're going to have some baggage anyways as well, whether you adopt a, you know, bring a puppy in or a, or an adult dog. But I always tell people from the very beginning, when you bring a new puppy into the home, it doesn't matter the age of the puppy and it doesn't matter the age. It doesn't matter if somebody tells you, Hey, the dog is housebroken, bank on the odds. The dog's not going to be housebroken, you know? And you always want to start from scratch, you know, with a clean slate. That's the first thing. And then planning, you know, before you bring the dog home, I just think there's a lot that goes into it in the fact that, and I'm talking to somebody too, listen, talking to you, obviously, that's that's very knowledgeable about this type of thing, but planning things out, you know, planning it out, making sure that before you bring the puppy home, you got the right puppy for the family. You got the right breed. Or, you know, if it is a purebred dog that you got from an animal shelter, humane society, and uh, it's got some certain breeds in it, learn about the breed. You know, it may not have a lot of those characteristics that you want and understand that many of the dogs in animal shelters and humane societies are there because they were turned not only one, but two times, you know, because they weren't the right dog. So you want to make sure, most importantly, you get the right dog for you and the family, the right puppy. That's number one. And then, and then the big thing is, is when you do bring the puppy home, whether you're introducing a puppy to a dog that's existing in the home or another dog that is uh, just, you know, just an adult dog and you're, you know, introducing that, uh, that new dog, uh, that new adult dog to your dog that's an existing dog in the home, that introduction, and I'm sure you've seen this before as well, that introduction can make it or break it. It really can. And if you try to do a shortcut and just throw them together and you don't know how these dogs are going to react. And it's important to always give them, you know, I always tell people, give, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt. You always want to take it, you know, super, super slow. And the first thing I would do that I recommend people do is when you bring a puppy home, put the puppy on the leash. And what I kind of like to do, and it's just not only a puppy, but, you know, right, even yeah. a, an, an adult dog, but bring the other dog in the front yard in a, in a neutral area, I, front yard, on leashes in the front yard. And kind of what I do is I just tell, you know, I teach in my dog training certification courses. This is what I teach. I say, you know what, take a walk about 50 yards and don't let the puppies necessarily smell each other, but let them just smell the air and have them about maybe five or six feet apart. Walk 50 yards, let them kind of smell as, as the wind kind of blows, they get a chance to smell. Maybe they, they could smell each other once or twice along the way. 
As you come back, maybe knock it down to about three feet. As you walk back, when you stop near the house, whatever, you can stop them to smell each other. Then walk again, maybe a little bit closer, only about a foot apart. Again, you're walking with them. You come back. You do that a couple times. Once you're okay with that, then what I would do is put them in the backyard together, let them smell each other. They're going to go to the bathroom, things like that. Let them kind of go through that. And then from that perspective, then what I would do is I would still do... Um, when you are bringing a puppy in the house, I really recommend using, um, have a dog, a little puppy on a leash, not letting the puppy just roam like crazy because it's going to, you know, right, you're, you're going to follow the puppy all over the house. It's going to, oh yeah, exactly. It's going to smell. It's going to go to the bathroom. And, you know, so I just tell people, you don't want to keep the puppy on leash, but the other dog is not on leash, but you know, the puppy is, but you know, you've got now you, what you're doing, you basically progress from there because the, the existing dog is not on a leash. And then, and then down the road of the, over the course of the next couple of days, whatever, you can start letting leash drag a little bit with the puppy and then eventually turn the puppy. You know, loose. Well, when you, when you, I just want to interrupt you one moment. When you bring them in the house and they're both on the leash, mm-hmm. you know, some dogs, you know, have an aggressive um, temperament as far as food. They're aggressive with their food for whatever their reasons are. Right. So let's take food out of the mix. Maybe they were out and they're excited because, you know, animals, dogs definitely are social. You know, that's for sure. Whether they like the one, just like people, we don't like everybody we meet. So let's take Mm -hmm. food out of the mix. How about two bowls of water on the ground? That's not food. I don't know, you know. Right. Exactly. No, no. You, you, bring up, you bring up a very, very, very good point. And that is, um, it's not to say that all dogs are this way, but you bring up a very, very good point. And, and in some situations, when people start bringing food out right away, and this is something I would not do with these two dogs together at all, as, um, and I would just basically not introduce, you know, at least this first you know, the first minute or two or the first, you know, hour when they're together, you know, you you just don't want to do that because, um, like I say, you run the risk of of the, it's not the puppy, but you run the risk of the existing dog uh, becoming possessive or or whatever over the food. So again, I would just try to make it as natural as possible. And, um, and one of the reasons we keep also the puppy on, I mean, we're running the same problem right now with myself, with my situation, not running the same problem, but we, we were avoiding the problem because, um, you know, I've got a 15-year-old dog and I've got a new puppy that I brought in the house. And the puppy wants to play crazy with the 15-year-old dog, you know. And, you know, everybody has the same story. And so what you want to do is you need to respect that 15-year-old dog. You need to separate the dogs, okay, or put the puppy on the leash. Because if the puppy is 12 weeks old, you need to let the puppy do what it naturally wants to do. It wants to play. So, um, and the first thing I would do, and this is something that I've done with this little guy, he's 12 weeks old. And that is, um, the very first thing I do is I find, you know, I've got toys and everything ready here. I find which toys he likes. So we're always able to redirect the dog onto the toys. Okay. When the dog does start mouthing us or when the dog starts getting crazy with the other dog, if you can take those toys and make those toys, something that's very, very special to them, they really want to go after and play with that can work in a really, really good way. And that's something that I teach all of my students when they go through my courses and something I'm actually doing myself with this, with, um, Oliver, this little guy. Oh, that's so, a cool name. Um, so how big will he get? He'll be about 12 pounds. He's about, uh, five and a half pounds right now. And he's a cool little guy. When people watch me uh, in the future down the road and we do the videos on the, when I go on the road and things like that, personal appearances, they'll see him with me. And, uh, but he's my new guy. And, uh, He's a, he's a small one, but he's got a great personality. And, um, See, that's just key a, with animals. Absolute. That is the key. Yeah, Forget, you know, whether they well, shed, the thing, you know. their size. They have to have a good nature. Not every animal does. No, you're absolutely correct. 
You're absolutely correct. And that's why, that's why I wrote my book. You know, What Color Is Your Dog? I've written a couple. We think we talked about this before. Right. But your dog is one of five colors, red, orange, yellow, green, or blue. And that's, that's the whole point is the fact that you need to, to, to work with your dog based upon your dog's personality. And um, to me, that is, you know, that's the most important thing. So what thing color well. is Oliver? Um, we also... Oliver is, a, Oliver is an orange dog. He's, yeah, he's, high, he's high strung. He's not a red, but he's an orange dog. But he'll eventually be, you know, he'll eventually be an orange, like leading to yellow and maybe a yellow in certain, certain situations. But, you know, the whole point is dogs change. And we talked about this before. A green dog, a dog that's timid or apprehensive, you know, let's say it's a Jack Russell, for example, it's in the house, he's a green dog. But, you know, literally within one foot, when he walks out that door, all of a sudden, if he's, you know, crazy about chasing rabbits or squirrels or things like that, that dog becomes an orange dog, literally within a foot, you know, by just walking, you know, taking a couple steps out that door. And you want to train your dog. And the reason we wrote this book is because you need to train your dog based upon the color he's giving you at the time, not what your dog's, you know, natural color is. It's what is the color now at the time? Right. You know, and that's the idea. That's that's really the whole point. Well, I want to take a break, but when I come back, I want to go over the colors again because I remember that, and it's very interesting, and people really should, you know, depending. I mean, I have a lot of friends, they deal with not so much the shelters. They do deal with the shelters, but a lot of people are now adopting through fosters, you know, or people that find animals and they happen to be pregnant. So let's take a quick break, uh-huh. and when we come back, let's talk about that. Be right back. Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to Dynavite for help. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Dynavite for life. Pick up two tubes of Doggo Suds. Get the third tube free. Peppermint, tea tree, lavender, Doggo Sud shampoo. Made with all-natural coconut, jojoba, aloe. Great for healthy skin and soft, shiny coats. But no itchy, harsh chemicals. Lather up, rinse away. Try Doggo Suds. Buy two, get one free. At Dynavite.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Okay, we're back, everybody. And my guest today is Joe Silverman, and he wrote a book, What Color Is Your Dog? And uh, it's very interesting. I mean, we could really actually do that with people, too, but... You know, that might not be, (laughs) I don't know, in our own minds, but it's very interesting. Why don't you explain to us? People have different personalities, yeah. And so do dogs. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about the colors and what people could look for depending, because everybody, I think our lifestyle, us, you know, who's going to adopt a dog, and I am very big about, you know, two to three dogs in, in a household. If you have the space, mm-hmm. yeah, no, you're absolutely, you're absolutely, you know, I, I totally agree. Dogs are social animals, like in Yuki said, and they love, they love buddies and things like that. Okay, so the way the color scheme works, and I wrote this book, and it came out in 2009, and about 10 years ago. And the reason I wrote it was because you've got a lot of different factions of trainers that are out there, and you know, and they're throwing different, you know, ideas at people and things like that. And the ideas that they're putting it out there are actually good ideas, but they think for some reason those techniques work with every single dog. That's the problem. And you can have people that are more positive only and only clickers. Well, they believe in one way of training. And it's really a mistake to get locked into one style of training because that style of training is great for certain types of dogs. But when you have a dog that is very, very reactive, has high prey drive, doesn't really care about the treats, 
you need to have a different type of, of technique. And the people that are using, that are more into using tactile reinforcement, which is petting the dog, using less treats, having some sort of tool to control the dog, you know, whatever, whether it's a halty or a gentle leader or one of my alternative training collars or something like that, or even just a dog's flat collar. But you need to have some way of controlling this dog because it's a, this dog is totally different than the dog. So that's kind of why I wrote this book. So what your, your dog is one of five colors, red, orange, yellow, green, or blue. And in the middle is the yellow dog, the mellow, mellow yellow. So the closer your dog is to the center of the spectrum, the easier it is to train. So a lot of people that adopt dogs from animal shelters, I think it's important for them to know kind of where they are. You know, honestly, give them a realistic opinion, idea of where they are with their dog. And, and if, they, if they're going to need some work with their dog, because there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, so it's, it's some dogs just need a little more work. And so, so you know, yellow's in the middle. And then we, I start moving off to the side. We have an orange dog, which is orange. Orange is near yellow. It's a high-strung dog. It's not a yellow, but it's, you know, high-strung. And then we have further off from that, we have the red, which is a very, very high-strung, you know, front feeder, never on the ground, barking, lunging, going crazy. Only about 5% of are red, probably 35% are orange. These are animals in animal shelters that, that are naturally there, okay? Those are the warmer color dogs. And then we go into the moving away. On the other side, we have green dog, which is going to be timid. They're going to be apprehensive. They're going to be cautious. And then we have the other dog, which is a blue dog, which is afraid of everything. You walk into a house, he runs under a bed. And again, probably 5% or you know, maybe 2 to 5% are going to be blue probably 35% are going to be green. And so the whole point is you take a green dog, an orange dog, probably 70% of doll dogs and animal shelters are showing you either green or orange. The point is, is those dogs, your dog will change colors if you do things the right way. And if you take the green dog that's timid, if you socialize a dog, if you use positive reinforcement, if you get them around people, from day one, that green dog has every reason to go yellow. If you take the orange dog that's high strung and crazy and barking and lunging, you know, kind of, you know, not like a red, but he's, you know, barking and lunging, but you take him and you start socializing him and you training him humanely with a, you know, some sort of training collar or or, or a halty or halt, you know, head halter. And if you start training dog and, and uh, using positive reinforcement, that orange dog has every reason to go yellow. And that's really why I wrote, wrote the book. So, and as we talk about training, obviously positive reinforcement is a huge part of what I do. You know, I grew up as a marine mammal trainer at, at um, SeaWorld in the um, 70s and 80s. And, um, you know, everything we did was, was done, you know, using positive reinforcement. And using treats are a big part of what we do. People know that know me know that I use Bill Jack treats. I feed Bill Jack food. I've been doing it for, you know, 30 years. And a lot of people don't realize that a lot of movie animal trainers in Southern California use those treats as well. So when there are a lot of different types. So I like to start off using treats to train the dog to do the behavior. But when the dog is trained, we start fading out the treats, okay, and increasing tactile rewards, which is petting the dog. So we might be giving the treat, you know, 90% of the time and 10% tactile reward. Well, then it's 75%, 25%, then 50-50. And before you know it, it's 75% tactile rewards, 25% bill jack treats, and then um, get down to like 10%, you know, bill jack treats. Can you train a dog not to bark? I'm not saying the dog should yeah. never bark, but there are some breeds that right. are barkers, but they're great breeds. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. You can always see there's different ways to do that. And, um, there are different, you know, redirection can work. Uh, people use what was called redirection. And that is basically rewarded dog when the dog's not barked, which is fine. But, but again, if you're going to, if you have a dog that's barking, that's really, really going crazy. Again, training tools are important. Head halt. You can use a head halter. You can use uh, a halty, those types of collars. You can use one of my alternative training collars. You can use the dog's flat collar as well in basically teaching dogs not to bark as well. But it really depends upon the individual dog. But I will tell people, I will tell you that 
if you're training your dog not to bark, it's barking at another dog, okay? And this is my what I teach people in my certification courses, and that is a dog is barking at another dog and going crazy from five feet away. There's nothing you can do aside from abusing this dog that's going to keep the dog from barking, okay? It's not going to happen because he's so reactive. However, if you get this do- your dog on a leash 50 feet away from that dog, guess what? Your dog is less reactive. And so what I start to tell people is whatever type of you know, collar or whatever you're going to use to teach the dog, now the dog, if the dog is rational, if you correct the dog, the corrections are minimal, okay? And that's what you want to do. And then eventually start moving forward a little bit forward, a little bit forward. And that's what you want to do. But you don't want to start you know, dealing with it from five or six feet away because the dog is irrational. And that's, that's, that's the whole point. Well, there's some dogs that bark in the house. That's crazy. You know, they just bark yeah, at yeah, anything. Exactly. They bark when you leave. You know, insecure. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, again, I tell people all the time, it's like, you just need to find out, you know, when is the dog, you know, if it's a bad behavior, you know, when does the behavior occur? Does it occur when you're there? Does it occur when you're not there? Does it occur at both times? You know, and so in dealing with a lot of these behavior issues, that's, that's kind of, the, that's kind of, the, you know, that's kind of what we do. I have a little thing that I do when I bring a new animal. I have two cats. I'm, I'm going to be getting another dog. I have a Maine Coon, the sweetest animal I have ever had. Ever. I mean, Minkins are great. Yeah. And he is very much like a dog. And, you know, since I always had dogs, I kind of, my cats sit, they stay, they listen to me. But what I do is I bring the animal home and I was prepared. They wanted me to separate him from the cat that I had who had just recently lost somebody that she was never alone, which I didn't do. And it was fine. She ran under the bed. But she was a skittish cat anyway in the beginning. And he went under the bed and spent all night with her. But what I did do was I spent some time in the house. And then about a half an hour later, I left for about 10 minutes. And then I came back and I kept repeating it. Because when I took him back from the shelter, he cried. You know, he was scared. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm never going to leave you. And I proved it to him. I will always come back. Mm -hmm. And I think that's That's something to think about. Most people, they get a a dog Friday night. They're home all Friday night, all Saturday, all Sunday. Oh, the puppy, blah, blah, blah. Monday, they go to work and they come home and they don't have a couch that they could sit on. And why? Because (laughs) the dog couldn't figure out where the heck you went. And they freaked out. Yeah, yeah. No, you're absolutely correct. No, you're, you're absolutely correct. I mean, I totally agree with that. That is exactly it, you know. And like I say, I, I think the big thing is, you know, we have, I think it's important for people to make decisions, you know, when they adopt a dog or, or bring the dog, a puppy in, um, there's decisions that they need to make. And one of the decisions they need to make is, do I have time, you know, for this animal? Do I have the time? And it's okay to say no. That's what I try to tell people. You know, it's okay to say no. The situation you brought up is a perfect situation. If somebody's going to go and they're they're going to be gone all day long, it's not going to work. I mean, it's just it's just not going to work unless you you know take your dog to dog and and dog daycare, which I think dog daycare places are great as well. There are people that do that, and uh, those places have really really opened up. And as a matter of fact, I teach my dog trainer certification courses at many different dog daycare places. So now when your dog is there at the um, playing with the other dogs and things like that, they, um, they can actually be trained as well. Do you use a crate? Do you believe in that? I am a huge fan of crate training, yes. And uh, the bottom line is I tell people from the very beginning that a crate, you know, people look at and they have a, a habit of anthropomorphizing. And you know what anthropomorphizing is, I'm sure. But, you know, a lot of the public doesn't know. Anthropomorphizing is giving animals human reasons, you know, thinking of 
human reasons why animals might not might be happy or not happy. And they put ourselves in the position. And a puppy or a dog is not a human. It is an animal. It is a den animal. They like being in dens. They like being in closed areas. They like, it's a sense of security. Right. And it's, works, can, it can work good. And I'm not saying in all the cases, but for separation anxiety, actually, separation anxiety, sometimes it's the best thing because the dog can't go crazy and manifest and start pacing around because it's, it's in a smaller area. So having said that, you know, the first thing I do is I teach people from the very beginning. And as a matter of fact, if you could just Google Joel Silverman crate training, there's a four minute demonstration from one of my TV shows that I did on crate training your dog over the course of four. It's a four minute video, start to finish. And you put a wee wee pad in there if it was a puppy or no? Well, if it's a small crate, if it's, if it's, a, if it's an area they're going to be in for a, a long period of time, a wired crate, yes. If it's a small crate, that I don't want the dog to go to the bathroom and I just want it to be, I know, I know I just took the dog out to the bathroom. I want to condition the dog to going to holding it. I'll actually put the dog in a smaller one. Okay. Cause, and then for 30 minutes or 45 minutes, he holds it in, take him out. Now he goes outside and goes to the bathroom. So that way we condition start can really condition the dog to holding it in. So there are two types of things that I, I will do, but what I will tell, I want to tell the listeners real quick. And that is when you are training your dog, with it used in a crate. It's done through positive reinforcement. Do not do it if you think for some reason, if you think it's punishment, it's not punishment. It should be something that's positive reinforcement. You don't put your dog in it to punish the animal. And the first thing we do is we open the crate, we throw a piece of food all the way in the back where the dog can go in, turn dog turns around, comes back out. It's a game, you know, and just make it a game. When you dog goes in and that very first session, you start shutting the door and you're playing gotcha, you're basically, you put yourself you know, way, way, many, many steps back. And you ruin, and you mentioned uh, just recently, we were talking about the trust, you ruin the trust. So over the course of time, when the dog is comfortable turning around and going, now you can shut the door for three or four seconds, open the door, give the dog a treat inside the crate, let the dog come out. And then again, we have, here, here's the game. This is the game we're doing. That's, and that's what dog training is, you know? So, hey, we mentioned real quickly, I did mention the, the Bill Jack treats. And um, I did want to let the people, let the folks know that um, people that know me, if they, they come to my website, they do see the Bill Jack logo on there. And I do, I've had a relationship with them for the last, you know, 30 years. And I very know uh, Bob, Bob Kelly, who's the president. I've known him for a long time. Great people. Um, the food is made, you know, here in the United States. It is a premium dog food. It is available at PetSmart and also on Chewy.com as well. And I just tell people, if you know, go to their website, which is BillJack.com, read about the food. It's the way they heat it, if I remember correctly. It's exactly. It's, it's done through, you have a good memory. It's most dog my cat. I gave it to my cats. I know it's for dogs, but don't tell me <laughs> That's great, it. yeah. Most, most um, you know, if your cat likes it, that's great. Um, most do- uh, dog foods are cooked at high heats, and the higher the heat, the more you damage the amino acids, the, the proteins. And so the art to doing it is to use low heat. And what Bill Jack did is they created in the 70s, um, they create in 70s and 80s, they created these, this slow cooking mechanism where they're able to cook it at lower temperatures, which keeps the food fresher and just basically less chance of the aminos and, and the proteins being destroyed. And they, they do a two bowl taste test. That's kind of what they do. If you go into like PetSmart, a lot of times you'll see people and they'll, they'll have people that send out there from Bill Jack and they'll just say, hey, you know, you know, try our food against other people's foods. And more times than not, the dog picks the Bill Jack because the Bill Jack tastes the freshness in the food. And they're nice and small. They're nice and small. That's what I was going to say. They look different than other types of dog food. People look at it and they're like, yeah, the food looks different. And it's just the way it's done. And the reason it's done that way is because it's cooked in those small batches. So 
Um, they slow cook in small batches. That's kind of the thing. And so I just tell people, you know, go to billjack.com, take a look at their, you know, read, read for yourself. And then also if you're training your dog using their treats, big, big deal. That's kind of what I've done. You know, a lot, a lot of, you know, and I, I grew up as a movie animal trainer in Southern California and a lot of, I can tell you a lot of movie animal trainers. Yeah, in Southern killer California whales still like use that the treat. Yeah. Yeah. No, not that I know. Of. Um, <laughs> And then I always tell people also they have different types of treats. The little jacks I really recommend because they're they're smaller than the regular bill jack treats. You know you can buy like you know get a you know big pack of them and stuff. So um, they work it works out really really nicely too. So but they're great great you know great great group of people. So it's good to be a part of them. Okay, uh, let's take a break and then uh, we'll talk about travel. Be right back. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com We're back, and um, we want to continue about traveling with our pets, especially, you know, comfort dogs and emotionally support dogs. I did a little research as far as the airlines go. Airlines today have a room where you could actually bring your pet before you board the plane so they could relieve themselves, which I think is great. And Yeah, most uh, airports have that now. Yeah, and also, because, you know, they're very strict now as far as getting a certificate from what I read. You know, within 72 hours of your flight, you really need a letter from a doctor. But, you know, with all of that, and now you're on the plane... And it also depends on your animal. And you have to also think when you take that animal, because the animal will be on your lap. It has to at least sit on your lap. What seat are you going to sit at? Whether it's the middle or the ends or by the window, depending, you know, if you have a dog, like you said, that's mellow yellow, that might just sleep the whole time. It wouldn't really matter because it's not like when they go up and down the aisles, the dog's going to do something. But they did mm-hmm. say that if you get up, you have to take the dog. So that means if you use the restroom, you got to take the dog with you? Right. I get. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the other thing is there are bigger dogs too as well. Kind of the rules are most of the dog, if the dog is big, the dog has to be able to sit in front of you. And so what most people will do is what they'll do is they'll book the bulkhead, which is the front seats for people traveling with larger dogs okay. so that the dog can sit in front of them. That's kind of what they do. And then for the for a long time, American Airlines has, has they still have a rule. It's called celebrity pets. And if an animal's working on a movie or commercial and it's paid by the commercial company and they're, and they're the ones that contact American and they set everything up, the movie animals actually go are able to go in the cabin as well. And they could do the same thing. And um, my thing is, is that, you know, I, I travel a lot. I'm on the road every month. And I see a lot of these. I've seen so many more of these dogs now. And I, I just hope that when people are doing it, it's the real deal. You know, it really is a um, it is an emotional support dog. And it's not something where 
somebody just travel with the dog because they were like, well, I'm just going to travel with my dog and I'm going to have my doctor write a letter just to- It's not the doctor, it's $75 and online, but they've really nipped that in the bud. But I hope they did. I hope they really did. I just, you know, because I'm just seeing it so much right now. And and because there are certain people that truly, truly, you know, need to have that emotional support. And I respect that. I totally understand that, you know. No no more um, than five hour flights though. That that yeah, I read. Yeah. But what kind of training no, do you think? I mean, obviously, it would have to be a friendly dog, even if it's not like a dog that would jump on somebody. I'm not for that at all. But you know that if no, somebody I mean, wanted I mean, my, to pet my the deal, dog, my deal is this: for anybody listening to me, I've been traveling with my dog in the cabin for since I was like 21 years old. Okay, and as I said, because at American Airlines they had a celebrity dog and you know a deal, and actually Duke, when I, when I did Good Dog You on Animal Planet, you know, he did all the personal appearances with me, and he flew in the cabin with me. So I'm I'm very familiar with flying in the cabin with my dogs. And I've flown in the cabin with, like say, different ty- many, many different types of dogs. People need to realize that when you do that, that is a privilege to do that. And you are totally responsible for your dog. And if your dog bites somebody or even jumps up on a little kid that, you know, and just and scares the little kid, that's your responsibility to make sure that doesn't happen. And I just want to let people know that when you are traveling with your dog on a plane in a confined area like that, you're responsible you know, and, um, and a lot of people, you know, you know, this day and age, a lot of people don't want to take the good with the bad. They only want to take the, you know, take the good stuff. And they just need to realize that there, that there is a responsibility that goes into to, to that. And it might affect well. the animal. They are in a, enclosed. The air is different. The sounds are different. Yeah. And then as far as, yeah, and as far as getting your, your dog ready for something like that, you know, the one thing I tell people is get your dog out and desensitized around people and sounds and, and going in the car and things like that. The last thing you want to do is take a dog on a plane that has never been in a car before, that has never been around people, that is not in that you got your, you know, whatever you've got your um, emotional support certificate. And what about not drugging, drugging, but something? Well, you have to be really careful with that. I tell people too, is and that is most veterinarians will tell you this is comes from veterinarians, and that is. Dogs need to be able to pant, okay? That's why when you're traveling with your dog, you know, people in cargo, the dogs say dogs go in cargo down below in cargo. The last thing you want to do is give your dog something to make your dog go to sleep because when your dog goes to sleep, it can't pant. And sometimes they need to pant to cool themselves. And if they can't cool themselves, they can really, really overheat and bad things can happen. So that's why you need to be really, really super careful when you are giving medications when you're traveling, you know, with a dog that can be stressed out. And, and what seat do you choose? Because they need to be able to cool themselves. Towards the window? What seat, yeah, well, what I would do is I was traveling with the dog, and most airlines are going to do this, is they're going to put you in the, it's they call the bulkhead. Bulkhead means you're, you're at the front row. So if the, in the front row, there's nobody in front of you. There's a wall in front of you, but there's a little bit more leg room there. And so what will happen normally is they'll take two of the big dogs, for example, if you've got A, B, and C, they'll put one dog in A and one dog in C. And they'll have nobody in B and they'll keep that seat blocked pretty much for the, for the whole, if that flight's not sold out, that B seat, nobody's going to be there. Okay. If the flight's sold out, some unlucky person is going to end up sitting there. So that's kind of what it, the way it works with a lot of airlines. I mean, and, and, and the thing is, I always tell people too, Cheryl, is that is that check with the airlines all the time because policies change from month to month. They really do. If you look at, you know, their policies now, they're different from what they were a year ago. A lot of the airlines, you know, so Always check with the airline, even even though you flew with your dog and you, you did this with your dog a year ago, check, go online and see if the policies are still the same because they, they change from, you know, throughout the course of history, you know. Are you a big uh, proponent of dog parks? Well, here's here's my problem with dog parks. 
And that is, I'm not a big fan myself. And I think if people want to go there, I'm not telling people not to go there. I just seen situations in dog parks. All it takes is one dog. Okay. One dog that is just aggressive. And all of a sudden it just, it ruins the dynamics because he becomes aggressive and it becomes a chain reaction. And all of a sudden he gets dressed with another dog and I'll spark, bark, bark, that aggression. All of a sudden, I mean, literally I've seen, I've seen within 30 seconds a dynamics change in a dog park because one person brought a dog there. So all it takes is one person. And I, for me, I'm not willing to roll the dice on that. <laughs> and I, cause I just, I just seen so much, right, you know? Right. So I just recommend if you, if you want to socialize your dog, there are dog daycare businesses and I teach my dog training certification courses at a lot of dog daycare businesses across the nation. These are places where dogs can run together. I mean, I've, I, there's a place in Southern uh, Indiana where they, he does um, about 150 dogs a day. He's got about a hundred, over a hundred, oh like a oh, hundred big dogs together and all of them mellow. Nobody barking, going crazy, keeps everything really mellow. It's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty cool setup. And, um, but there are a lot of these places across the nation. I would highly recommend because especially if you're working and things like that, it's a great place for your dog just to spend the day um, and, with other and dogs. Most and most people like have that, dogs. So. so, I mean, you could even go walking with your friends. You know, I mean, if your friend has a dog and they live local or you could make a, a play date, you could go to each other's houses and just walk. Absolutely. Oh, no question. No question. Anything you can do together, you know, with other people and because um, dogs love that. What you just mentioned, dogs. Yeah, they like to socialize. And, and that's going to be good for your 15-year-old dog. Eventually, absolutely. he's going to like having Oliver because, hey, when nobody's home, he's going to have his own buddy. So. Yeah, exactly. And maybe exactly. he'll even no, take on correct. some of his personality. Right. Exactly. They're amazing animals. I think the way we treat animals today, some of us, I mean, you know, there's there's sucky people all over, but they really are more considered family members. I mean, really, to even adopt an animal today, they really want you to be either working part-time or home or somebody in the house. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to do it left alone. Even a cat. Exactly. No, well, I live in you know, Reno, Nevada, and I have a relationship with the Nevada Humane Society and the SPCA of Northern Nevada, and I've done my certification courses at the, the places, and I've shot, shot my TV shows there at both those places. And I will tell you that they are very, very serious when they when somebody's interested in a dog, and they you know they, they do all the paperwork, they find out you know what's there right now, and then before they adopt the dog, they actually bring the dog in, the existing dog that they have, they bring it there, and they let them you know mix, they like see how they are and um, in a neutral area at the Humane Society before they um, they release that dog, which I think is really, really smart. Yeah, because you don't want them to go back. I mean, you know, no. No. Exactly. owner surrenders are, to me, heartbreaking. I mean, yeah, it's always heartbreaking. I mean, if they're on the street and they were astray, but for somebody to bring their, their animal back in, you know, that they just, I think it takes time. I don't think a week. I don't think two weeks. I've had friends who've adopted dogs. It took months. So they became you themselves. Just said it, you just said it right. You know, the thing is, I've seen situations where it takes a couple, only takes a couple of days. I've also seen times where it takes six months, you know? So what you just said is absolutely correct. You know, don't hang your hat on a time limit. That's my big point to everybody. Whether you're training your dog to sit, to stay, to lie down, you know, all these behaviors or, or socializing or everything we just talked about today, every situation is different and it depends on the dynamics of the dog you're working with or 
if you're introducing dogs, the dynamics of the two dogs that are going to be you know, living together, you know, because it's, it's different. But that's, but to me, that's what makes it so fun. So now your new one, how is it going with the stay, no, roll, roll over? Well, roll over is really not. <laughs> well, he's only 12 weeks old. I've had him for two weeks and I started, you know, as a trainer to go to a place. He was, a lot of people know my style of training. I train dogs to go to a place in elevated areas. So we work off that. Then do his treats. He likes his treats and everything. What, and, what do you mean um, elevated areas? Like transcendental meditation? <laughs> uh, elevated areas. No, um, I like to use to teach dogs on something elevated. It could be their dog bed. It could be actually a platform that's maybe six inches high that they can jump up on. But something they can jump up on this defined place. If you can do that, you can start working the stay behavior a lot quicker. You can get the dog to sit a lot quicker because the dog's not on flat ground. If the dog is on flat ground, it's very easy for the dog to cheat and start coming towards you. But if he's on something elevated, it's a defined place. So if he jumps off, what do we do? Just guide the dog back up again and have him stay there, you know, and eventually he's let him figure out, hey, if I stay here, I get rewarded. If I jump off, he's just going to guide me back up again. So I may as well just, you know, stay up on this elevated that's a, area. That's a great, that really is a very good idea. There's a graphic running around. I think it's been around for a while. Is like an older dog is looking at a young dog and says, you know, take it slow. Act, you know, act like you didn't learn it because they give you lots of treats. <laughs> you know, like yeah, take your fun. time. You'll hilarious. get more treats. Don't learn right away. You ruin it for the rest of us. No, <laughs> you're you're abs- you're abs- you're absolutely correct. And then, like I say, the, the thing is, we use you know positive reinforcement for that. So I'll use Bill Jack treats to train you know the puppy on, guide the dog up there on the elevated area, and um, reward the dog there. Always walking and rewarding the dog for staying. If you're treat your dog to stay constantly walk in and we don't call your dog to you. If you call your dog to you and reward him, why is your dog going to want to stay? So walk to your dog and reward him for staying. If you want to call your dog to you for the recall, you can call him to you, which is fine, but always make sure if that's all you do and you never walk in and reward your dog for staying, he's never going to want to stay. So always walk in and reward your dog for staying. We always teach people that as well. And then again, we use, um, you know, we use the Bill Jack treats to train. I'm a little mixed up. Say that again for the, for the stay and come. Is that what you were saying? Yeah. For the state behavior, what I see a lot of people do, and I've been saying this for years, for decades, and that is, you know, you tell people, you know, they say, I can't, I can't get my dog to stay. And they step back like 10 feet and the dog stays for 10 seconds, which is great. And then they call the dog and they reward the dog, you know, to call the dog to them. And the truth is you're actually rewarding your dog for coming to you. You're not rewarding your dog for staying. So in order to reward your dog for staying, you need to walk to your dog and reward your dog for staying. And that oh, way I you see. keep that stay behavior up. But you can call your dog to you, which is great. That's the recall, which is fine. But my suggestion is if you're stepping back 20 feet from the dog, okay, you step out 20 feet, three out of 10 times, I would call my dog to me. Seven out of 10 times, I would walk in and reward my dog for staying. If you do that, your dog has every reason to want to stay there. If you call your dog to you nine out of 10 times and you walk in one out of 10 times, reward your dog for staying, you're going to get a breakdown of that behavior. Your dog's not going to want to stay. Right. And stay is very important. Stay, stop, settle. Stay is very important. And as a movie animal trainer, that's what we do because we step back. We've got to step back 30, 40 feet away. Dogs have to do behaviors from you know far away. And we need to be able to have that control. And that's why I'm so much into working you know, distance and things like that. Yeah, there's some animals that love going for a ride in the car. And there's some animals that mm-hmm. don't. It makes them sick. Exactly. They're all different. You know, so wonderful. All right. Well, um, yeah. I'll tell you, we picked up a lot of different things, and I'll be in touch when I, because I'm going to get a medium-sized dog. I'm not. The please days do of that. Me please, getting please an, do that. And, and maybe, an old, you know, big dog, or I had 
a standard poodle and a tricolor collie. The poodle mm-hmm. was a handful. I'd get another poodle again. When you do that and you're working with your dog and you're, you know, just as you're doing the training, we'll do another interview and, and it'd be great to have you, you know, kind of ask me some questions as you're going along with the dog. <laughs> and uh, hopefully I can help you that, that way. And hopefully the listeners can Yeah, take, we could. Yeah, maybe I could get, it. you could help me because <laughs> I haven't done yeah, that exactly, in a while. Exactly. But, uh, but I'm, I'm an alpha. I'm definitely into, you know, animals behave. I don't, my cats don't even right. go on. They only go on my bed and one chair. They don't go on counters. Right, they right. don't go on the couch. I'm just not into that. Yep. And I guess you... No, I agree. I, and like animals today, everybody gets these beds for the animals too. And little animals, they get steps to go up on the bed or up on the couch because of their hips right. or their little legs. Exactly. Well, I tell people, you know what I tell people, Cheryl, is whatever works for them. If that's what's going to have a better relationship with you and your dog, whatever, whatever, whatever it takes, you know, because I'm, you know, you're your way, I'm my way. And that's what makes us all unique. And um, the chemistry between the person and the animal is what makes makes it so special. And uh, there's nothing as, you know, I tell people all the time with the amount of people that are out there abusing animals, whatever you're doing to develop a better relationship with your dog, that's what you should do. That's true. Period. Because all we're all doing. different and so are the animals. And everybody that's comes right. with baggage. And especially with, you know, that's dogs right. and shelters, we don't know, you know. When I got my Maine Coon, I was told one story. And then over the years, I've been going back there, whether to drop off towels or for whatever. And now I know more mm-hmm. stories, which is that somebody let this cat out and they found it. It wasn't that somebody surrendered it because, you know, it didn't get along with the dogs because... I've had friends come over with a dog, and the cat's fine. First of all, he was bigger than the right. dog. So, you know, these Maine Coons, he's no. about 28, 29 pounds. He's, he's an yeah, impressive size huge. and very, very smart. But the one thing about them is they're very, very sweet. If I was ever going to get yeah, another no, cat, no, I'd get another Maine Coon. They have just very yeah, unique they're, they're, per- they're like a dog. Very, very gentle. Yeah, they're, they're, they're real laid back. Very laid back. Very laid back. Yeah. Well, it was wonderful talking with you today, and I will definitely, we will do another show while I'm training. I appreciate all of well, the knowledge. Well, thank you so much, Joe. I, I really appreciate it. And as I said to everybody, if they could just, you know, if you have information, you can go to joelsilverman.net. Info, information on Bill Jack, go to billjack.com. And most importantly, um, just read about the difference in Bill Jack. That's the, what I tell people all the time. It's like, don't take my word for it. Just read about the difference. And I think that that's, uh, that'll hopefully help them out a little bit. And also, if you are going to adopt a pet, do your research. If, you know, there's some yeah. animals that need a lot of exercise. If you're a lazy mm-hmm. person and, or an older person and you're not going to do that, don't get that kind of a dog because the dog will be miserable and you know here yeah, and, and so and will so, you and so and so will and so will you <laughs> exactly you know, yeah, you'll, you'll yeah. have no house they'll chew everything well i want to thank joel for being a guest well cheryl thank you for having me i appreciate it and i want to tell everybody to uh live life unleashed i want to thank mark and we'll see you next time bye-bye everybody thank you very much have a great day bye-bye let's talk pets every week on demand only on petliferadio.com